As you be seated, if you'll find your Bible and open it with me to Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 5. I was talking with my dad the other day. Most of you are aware that back on July the 1st, he suffered a stroke. And so his goal right now in life is to learn to walk again. So I'm trying to call him pretty well every day. And one day I call him and he's, he's down in the dumps. And I'm, I'm talking to him and I'm like, Dad, what's going on? You sound like you're, you're a little bit sad and dejected today. And he said, well, well, I'm not getting enough therapy. And if I don't get enough therapy, then I won't learn to walk and then I won't be able to go home. And so I'm just a little disappointed. So I tried to talk, through, talk him through that and called him back the next day. And when I called him back the next day, it it sounded much different. I mean, it was like the Rocky music was playing in the background, and, and Dad was enthusiastic, and I was like, well, Dad, you seem a lot happier today, and he goes, well, uh, well, I made a good hire this morning, son. I was like, okay, uh, who did you hire? He said, well, I hired this girl named Eve, and, and she's a physical therapist, and now I'm getting an hour of therapy every day, and I, I just feel a whole lot better about things, and then I, I remember one of the words that he said, or one of the sentences that he said, he said, now I have hope. Now I have hope. Hope is one of the deepest needs of the human soul. If we don't have hope, then life begins to drain itself of joy. If we don't have hope, then we begin to despair and we begin to ask the question, well, well, what's the point? Hope is critical to the human experience. We all need hope. It's one of the reasons why politicians talk about hope so often, because they know that each of us need it. It's why salespeople try to get your hopes up, because they know if they can get you hopeful and emotional, that they might be able to get your business. Hope is why it hurts when you get passed over for that job that you really wanted. Or when that relationship, that romantic relationship, ends painfully. It hurts because you had hope and you had dreams as to what it might be. So for several weeks, we have been talking on the subject of hope. And today, we're going to leave Luke and go to Romans chapter 5 today, because in Romans chapter 5 and verses 1 through 5, I believe the Apostle Paul really surmises everything that I have been trying to help you to grasp and understand on this subject of hope. The passage that we are looking at today has become very, very special to me. It's a passage that when I asked to speak at various places, I often will go to this verse of Scripture because I think hope is perhaps the most underdeveloped theology in all of Christianity, and yet it is vitally important for us to understand hope if we're to understand the gospel. So look with me, Romans chapter 5, we're going to be looking through verses 1 through 5 today. Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God, through our Lord Jesus Christ, and we have also obtained access through Him by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now, imagine, if you would, this passage like a sandwich, and at the bottom of the sandwich is the word, therefore. The passage is built 
on this word, therefore. At the top of the sandwich is the idea that we are to rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And in between, therefore, and rejoicing in hope, Paul layers layers of, of meaty theological truth within this section. So let's begin with the word, therefore. For four chapters, the Apostle Paul has been building the case that all of us need hope. Why do we all need hope? Because all of us have fallen short of God and His glorious standard, and we all have sin, and we live in a world that has been stained by sin. Paul describes this world as one in which we are at enmity with God. We are literally at war with God. Now, we don't often think of ourselves that way, but that's how the Bible describes us, that whenever we are living in sin, rebelling against God, we are at war with God and His ways and His kingdom. And it gets worse because the case that Paul builds is that we are trapped in this reality. We are trapped in our flesh. We are slaves to the temporal. From dust we came, to dust we shall go. We all have a meeting with death. But then God did something that only God can do. Motivated by His love, God sent His Son. Though we all sin and fall short of the glory of God, Christ lived a sinless life and met the expectations and the standards of the glory of God in all ways. But you know the story. He was betrayed, he was arrested, he was tortured, he was crucified, but his death was not merely the example of a good religious teacher who believed in his cause to the point of death. The scriptures teach us that his death was an atonement, that on the cross, Jesus absorbed the wrath of God intended for sin into himself, and he took that wrath into the grave because the wages of sin is ultimately death, but death could not contain him. He rose again, he ascended, and he is coming again. This is what we call the gospel. And at its heart, the gospel is a story of hope. And there is no greater call of hope than the call of salvation. Because Jesus calls us not just to go to church or follow some teachings. Jesus calls us to place our faith in him. And whenever we place our faith in Him, one of the results is that we have a hope that is from Him because Jesus called us to place our faith in Him as Savior and Lord. And so this call of hope is extraordinary in its power. The call of hope crosses Boundaries. It, it crosses boundaries of geography. It crosses boundaries of culture. It is not just sufficient for all, but it is available to all. It transcends time. It transcends race. It doesn't care about your economic status. The call of hope that Jesus extends to us, it doesn't care what color your skin is, if you are rich or if you are poor. It doesn't care if you grew up in church or if you grew up in the bars. Jesus calls every one of us to the same thing, to stand at the cross and to place our faith in Him as Savior and Lord. And when we do that, He promises to bring forgiveness to our sin. He promises to bring purpose to our present and hope to our future. 
And so Paul has talked about all this, and he comes to this word, therefore. All that, I, all that he has talked about, this is what it means. Since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the, here's our word, hope of the glory of God. So let me talk to you about five theological truths that we have in Christ. Number one, believers have been declared righteous in faith. It's a judicial term. The gavel has fallen. Even though we are guilty, God has declared us not guilty. Because in Christ, God no longer sees us as sinners apart from Him, but in Christ, God sees us as His children, innocent and righteous. And so He declares us justified is the theological term. He declares us righteous in faith. Secondly, the passage says that believers have peace with God through Jesus. So apart from Jesus, there is separation between me and God. I may want to know God. I may want to pursue Him. I may want to learn about Him. But I can't because there is separation between God and me. But through Jesus, we have peace with God. And so the enmity, the struggle, the rebellion has been ended. And I live in a state of peace. Thirdly, believers have obtained access to God through Jesus. Now, this is huge. Not only has the separation between us and God been removed, but God has given us access to His very throne room, to His nature, to His person, so that we can have relationship with God, the Creator of the universe, the One who holds all things together, the One who is all-powerful and all-knowing, also says to you and to me, you can be my child. You can know me. You can have access to me. I want you to have a relationship with me. Fourthly, believers stand in grace rather than dying in sin. Because of Christ, we stand in grace, and God has extended us this undeserved grace through Christ. And we stand in it not just for a season but for all eternity. Do you realize that for your life to have significance, you need two things. You need God and you need eternity. For your life to have significance, you need a God who brings definition to truth. Not just your opinion, not just relative truth, but truth that is inherent within His creative order. And so, through God, we have definition of truth. This is right, this is wrong. This brings guidance and direction to life. But through God, we also have eternity. You see, without eternal life, then everything you have is going to go away. Without eternal life, then life can become somewhat nihilistic and dismal because at the end of all your work are the open arms of death awaiting you. So it doesn't matter what type of advancements you bring to this world. It doesn't matter what the world does. There is a commonality that all of us face, and that is that it's all going to end. 
And when it ends, everything goes dark and there is no more. Not only will the world end, but eventually the universe will expand to its ultimate limits and it will end as well. And so if there is no eternality, then it is, there is no significance. You need both eternality and God to really find significance in life. And the passage says here that believers stand in grace rather than dying in sin. What that means is that nothing's ever going to separate you from the love of God. You stand as his child for all eternity. And then we come to this fifth truth. Believers rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So therefore, because of what Christ has done, you have righteousness, peace, access, grace, and joy. And this all leads us to hope. But I want you to realize this today. In fact, it's the title of my sermon, and that is that the hope that God calls us to is a different kind of hope. You remember whenever you were a kid and your mom was trying to save a little bit of money and she would buy Czech cola at the store? Anybody remember Czech cola? Yeah, your mom would bring it home and, you know, it'd be in that two-liter bottle and it looked like Coke, uh, but whenever you opened it, it, it kept its fizz for like two minutes, and then it was like flat after that. And whenever you drink it, it tasted like you're drinking shampoo or something like that. And you're like, Mom, what is this? This is awful. I'm trying to save a few dollars. Well, there's a lot of stuff out there that looks like hope. It sounds like hope, but it's really not hope. A lot of what is cast as hope is false hope. It's just going to deceive you. I remember whenever I was in seminary, my theology mentor was a man by the name of James Leo Garrett. Dr. Garrett, absolutely brilliant man. We, we called him Machine Gun Garrett because he would just throw out stuff so fast that you couldn't keep up, and he would pretty well mow down every student that opposed him. You know, He was, he was the kind of guy, he had two doctorates. He got his second Ph.D. from Harvard University just for fun. That's the kind of guy he was. So every semester... These young, aspiring ministers would enter his class, and they were so full of hope and confidence. There is nothing more confident on this earth than a second-year seminary student. He thinks he knows everything, and so they would come in with such hopes of making an A. They were going to, they were going to impress the professor so much, and then he would pass out the first test. And after the first test, everybody realized that any hope that you brought into that class was false hope. You weren't going to make an A. You weren't going to do well. It was just false hope. But sometimes that's what we're given, false hope. Sometimes the hope that is sold to us is temporary hope. It's just for a season. This is a wonderful time of year because the weather is beginning to cool at least one degree a week, it's getting cooler, right? And before you know it, the footballs will be flying. And right now, all the college football fans have so much hope. Do I have any Longhorn fans in the house today? Got a few. Do I have any Aggies in the house today? I can always count on the Aggies to whoop it up. Do I have any uh, Sooners in the house? Red Raiders? Yeah, Bears? All the rest? Yeah, Lions, yeah, yeah, Colin Cougars, yeah. Uh, uh, I, I, I cheer for the DBU Patriots, you know, go Patriots, that, that, that's my team. And 
right now, we all have hope. We have hope for an undefeated season because no games have been played. Everybody's undefeated, and so everybody has hope. But that hope that you have is temporary because very soon the games will be played. And eventually, your team will very, very likely lose. In fact, probably all of our teams will lose a game, except for the DBU Patriots, because they don't have a football team. But uh, anyway, uh, we have temporary hope. And then we also have non-guaranteed hope. A lot of what is communicated today is hope, but it's not guaranteed this week. Stacy and I celebrated 21 years of marriage. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm uh, beginning to think that this is going to work out well. You know, it's uh, I, we've had 21 good years of marriage. I, I always say to people, if you're going to get married, marry over your head because till death do you part can be a long time. So you need to marry well. But whenever we stood before my father at Victory Baptist Church, and he looked at me and said, do you? And he looked at her and said, do you? And we both said, I do. We had hope, but it wasn't a guaranteed hope. Now, we had confidence because we knew each other. We had taken time to get to know each other, and we had dated, and we had known each other's character, and we both had love for one another, but there were no guarantees. We had hope, but we still had to live the day. But hope in the glory of God is a different kind of hope because God calls us to a real hope. It's not a false hope. In the end, it will not be lacking or disappointing. God calls us to an eternal hope. The hope to which God calls us outlasts the hundred-year window that we call life here on earth. You have eternal hope in God. And the hope that God calls us to is a guaranteed hope. You say, how has God guaranteed our hope? God has guaranteed your hope through the blood of Jesus Christ. Because your hope is in Him and not in yourself, you have a guaranteed hope in Christ. It is backed by and guaranteed by the almighty power and goodness of God Himself through Christ. If your salvation were earned through your own good behavior, it would not be guaranteed hope. Because if it could be earned through your own good behavior, then it can be lost through your bad behavior. Because it is earned through Jesus and extended to you in grace, then it has been guaranteed to you for all eternity, and nothing is going to separate you from that hope. Nothing is going to separate you from that grace that has been extended to your heart through the blood of Christ. It is a guaranteed hope, and it is a heavenly hope. Now, if you can ever really begin living with a worldview that understands heaven, it will change you. It will change you. Heavenly hope allows you to see the world differently. Heavenly hope allows you to rejoice even when earthly hope fails. But now here's the problem. You're not in heaven yet. And so here on earth, there is a lot of what the next verse is going to call a And not only that, but we also rejoice in afflictions Because we know that affliction produces endurance, and endurance produces proven character, 
and proven character produces hope. Now, this past Monday was a celebratory day in the Banks household because our children went back to school. And Stacy and I like it whenever they are in school. And Mr. Bennett Lash Banks, my five-year-old, he began kindergarten. So when Stacy went in to wake Bennett up, I was back in the master bedroom, and all the way across the house, I hear these words yelled, I don't want to go! Okay? And he had no desire to go to kindergarten. You say, well, what did you do? I said, don't worry about it, dude. Just go back to bed, sleep in, live here for the next 40 years. It's all good, all right? You know, everything's fine. No, that's not what I told him. I told him he had to get up. He had to get dressed. He had to go to kindergarten, even if he did not want to go to kindergarten. Why? Because as his father, I know that he needs to be stretched. As his father, I know that he needs to be challenged and that there are some things that he has to learn in order to be the man that he was created to be. Now, many Christians, whenever we read this passage, we never make it through verse 3. As we read verses 1 and 2, we're like, this is great, we have hope. But then we get to verse 3 and the brakes squeal because then it says, not only do we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, but we rejoice in our afflictions. And at that point, we push away, zone out, get the phone out, try to think about something else. Because we don't like to think about rejoicing in struggle. We don't like to think about the fact that Through struggle comes growth and character and maturity. Now, in fairness, within our culture, since the age of two, here's how life has been framed for you. You're going to go through some struggle, but then you will meet the perfect person and you will perfect person and fall in love. Then love will win and you will ride off and you will all live what? Happily ever after. But a lot of you have met the perfect person and you still have affliction, right? Why? Because it is a part of life here. Hope in the glory of God rejoices in affliction. And the passage says the reason why we can rejoice in affliction is because we know some stuff. Now, what is it that we know? We know that affliction is going to produce within us endurance. And endurance is going to produce within us proven character. And proven character is going to produce within us hope. So there is a progression and there is even a purpose to the struggle through which we go. Christian maturity is seen when what you know about God meets the realities of your life and your faith in God sees you through. Frequently we think maturity is about how much you know about God. So the more you know the scriptures, the more theology you know, the more mature you are. I encourage you to know the scriptures to be well-versed in theology. Maturity is seen when what you know about God meets the realities of your life and your faith continues to see you through. Now, everybody in this room wants to be successful. Everybody in this room has hopes. Everybody has dreams. Sometimes you keep those hopes and dreams to yourself. Sometimes you may even struggle to really define them, but everybody in this room has hopes and dreams. And most of us want it to be easy. We want it to be easy. And the moment that it gets hard, 
we begin to push away. And then we lose hope. We get disillusioned. Sometimes we become depressed. Sometimes we grow cynical or angry. And when our anger does not become resolved, then we become bitter people. We all have hopes and dreams. We want to be successful. But frequently, when success meets reality, we push away because it's hard. But then there are those rejoice in affliction. And you begin to understand that the struggle is part of the reality of hope. And these, these are the people that change the world. These are the people that make eternal impact. These are the people who inspire others. Those individuals that when faced with affliction keep pushing through and have substance about themselves that brings truth even into the affliction. And I want you to know this. This can be you. This can be you. God has equipped you and strengthened you with what you need to face the temptations that you are dealing with in your life. And so the scriptures say, that not only do we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, but we rejoice in our afflictions, in the struggles of life, because we know that that struggle is building within us. It's building within us uh, uh, endurance, which is building within us character, which is building within us hope. So sometimes we face a struggle and we're like, I don't want to go. But then the Scriptures remind us, rejoice in that. Because God's going to use it in your life. He's going to build something in you that only the struggle can build. So, this hope will not disappoint, verse 5 says. Because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. This hope will not disappoint because God has poured it into your hearts. Now make sure you get this. The hope that God gives Christians has been poured into your heart. It is within you. It is part of your soul. When hope is inside you, when hope has been poured into your heart, then hope is not dependent upon what is going on around you because it comes from within. When the Holy Spirit has poured hope into you, then no matter what life throws at you, nothing can steal your hope because your hope doesn't come from circumstances. Your hope comes from God. Now, it's easy to talk about persevering through difficulty and finding hope. But then there are moments when you stand in the hospital room and the person you love deeply is suffering. There's moments when Your world falls apart. Suddenly you've lost your job. Suddenly that marriage ended. Suddenly that person passed away. There's these moments where you hear this truth and you're like, yes, this is right, I like this, but then life just gets so loud and the noise is so overwhelming that you can't even hear yourself think. And in those moments, hope can be hard to find. But it's in those moments of pain I have found that the Holy Spirit opens our heart and pours the love of God and the hope of God into your soul. 
And there are times where we don't understand it. There are times where it doesn't make sense. But we continue to rejoice because we know that in rejoicing, we will find ourselves enduring. And that through our endurance, we will find ourselves becoming people of proven character. And that that proven character is going to lead us to a hope that will not disappoint because that hope has been sealed off into our heart through the Holy Spirit of God. I, I don't have all the answers. Sometimes as pastors, we struggle with that. We think we're supposed to have all the answers. And the scriptures talk about the ultimate things of life. And so we feel like we're supposed to know all the reasons why. But I, I don't have all the answers. I don't know why it happened to you. Whatever it may be. It may have been sexual abuse, it may have been a horrible childhood, it may have been uh, a lost love, it may have been death of a person that you cared about deeply, it may have been financial ruin, it may have been career disappointment, whatever it is, I, I don't know why it happened to you. And I want you to know that even as I talk about uh, rejoicing and affliction and passages like James that talk about considering trials pure joy, uh, even as we talk about these subjects, I, I do not wish you pain. And when we hurt, those that love you hurt with you. That's part of being a church, is that we love one another, and, and we're in this together. And when people that we love are hurting, we hurt with them. When people that we love are rejoicing, we rejoice with them. And even when it gets hard, we don't just push away and run away but we stay with it because we're a church and we're a church family together. Hey, one of the beautiful things about this place is that we know one another. This is a church where we want to know your name. This is a church where we want to live in relationship and we want to have community. And not only do we know you, the longer that we get to know you, the more we know your, str- your strengths and weaknesses. You guys know my weaknesses. And we know you and we still love you. Not only do we still love you, we like you. Because we're in this together. And when one of us hurts, we all hurt. But I do know this, that on the other side of great hurt is great strength. And those who have endured great pain have much to give. And God extends to each of us a different kind of hope that leads us to a point where we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Because as a believer in Christ, I no longer rejoice in the hope of the glory of me, but I rejoice in the hope that others might see God, that others might know Him, that others might experience what it's like to have the Holy Spirit of God pour God's hope into their heart and to live eternally and to have a purpose and a significance that comes from knowing God, loving Him, and living a life that never ends with a hope that endures forever. And so this hope will not disappoint because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Later on in the book, in Romans chapter 12, Paul surmises all that I have talked about today in just one sentence. Romans 12, 12 should be a refrigerator verse. If you own a t-shirt company, print it, okay? Rejoice in hope, be patient in affliction, persistent in prayer. Let's say that together, okay? Rejoice, be patient, be persistent 
in prayer. Would you be so kind as to bow your heads with me, please, as we come to a time of commitment. The band's going to come and lead us in worship. If today you have never trusted in Christ as Savior and Lord, before you leave here today, I would love to talk to you, talk to you about what it means to be a Christian. If there's anything I can pray with you about or encourage you in, I'm here at the front. I'd love to be a pastor to you. Heavenly Father, we bow our heads before you and we ask that you might fill us with hope. And I pray for that person that's here today that has grown disillusioned, for that person that perhaps has pushed away from you, maybe even thinking about abandoning the faith. I pray, Lord, that you might instead renew faith. I pray, Father, that we will rejoice in our hope and also, Lord, rejoice in the fact that our hope gives us strength to face the struggle. And so may we adorn ourselves in that heavenly hope and may we go through the various pressures of life embracing them because we know that they are building within us endurance, revealing character, and building within us greater hope that can be shared with other people. So Father, I thank you for this church where we come together in community and we share with one another the hope that is within us. And we pray, Lord, that that hope might burn within us so so vividly that when people come in contact with us, they might see that we have an answer, that we have hope. It's in Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we worship. Amen.